0: The rest of you, as they're making their way out, turn back to where we left off last week. Deuteronomy chapter six. Deuteronomy chapter six. We're looking at verses four through nine. Home away from home, part two. This is a passage that is called the Shema in Hebrew. It's the Hebrew word for listen or hear, because that's how the verse, that's how the text starts. So let's read verses 4 through 9 again, and we'll look at Home Away From Home, part 2. Listen, Israel, verse 4 says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Father, we thank you for this word that is a reminder and also an encourager for us to be equippers in our own homes, to truly realize in this home away from home that you've given us on this ground that is going to be one day done away with when we receive a new heaven and a new earth and even a new body. While we're here, Lord, on this journey, help us to always be reminded while we're here. And in this home away from home, may we pour our lives into a generation that will shake this world for the glory of God. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can be seated. As we get started this morning, I just want to remind you of a few things that we looked at last week, because everything that I say this morning is going to be important. We build on the foundation that we looked at last week. Last week, I made this statement that an atmosphere of love enables an appreciation for the law. An atmosphere of love enables an appreciation for the law. And so if we're going to get into teaching biblical principles and and, and biblical precepts, we need to have that relationship in place in order to do that. So let's keep that in mind. We looked last week at that atmosphere of love in our home. And as we looked at that atmosphere of love in our home, we began to break that down. Let me give you another statement. Intimacy must precede instruction. Intimacy must precede instruction. Now, it's easy for us to want to be in instruction mode, especially uh, those of you like me who feel like you need to teach people more than you even know yourself sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes we're that way with our kids. But intimacy, having that connection, that heart-to-heart pipeline to pass something from your heart to their heart, the pipeline's got to be in place before the teaching comes. So intimacy needs to precede instruction. And then uh, another way of looking at it was rules without a relationship leads to rebellion rules without a relationship. When you begin to demand things out of folks and you do not have an established relationship, then they're not going to listen. As a matter of fact, you may push them away. I've even warned, when I was in student ministry, I warned youth workers, I said, be careful, you know, uh, that, that kid who comes into the church, and maybe he's wearing a hat and nobody's taught him how to, you know, you're in worship or prayer, take off your hat or something like that. Or uh, I remember one particular occasion, a kid comes in and he's wearing his Budweiser jacket that dad must have given, him or something like that, it's easy for you to say, hey, who are you? Who are you? What do you think you're doing in our midst today? Acted like that. But it's better if you go and you build a connection, you build a relationship so that you can mentor and you can give instruction and help them grow and understand the gospel and embrace what Christ has to offer them. So build the relationship so they'll receive the instruction. And so last week we looked at kind of the first point of this text, and that's the atmosphere of love in our home. And I described a couple of things about that atmosphere of love. Number one, I said a covenant love needs to be at the center of our lives. We've got to have a covenant love. Covenant love, here O Israel. God was in covenant relationship with this people called Israel, and his, he says the Lord, using his covenant name Yahweh. And so there was a, a covenant love at the center of their lives that laid the foundation for the law that was to be presented to them. And also, there was a complete love at the core of their being. So we need a covenant love. We need that complete love. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, and strength. Everything you've got, all of your being, uh, that, that bless the Lord, O oh, my soul, and all that is within me. I want to love God with everything that is within me and, and want to serve him. And when that kind of environment, when that kind of love permeates our homes, then we're prepared to move on to some of the things that most of us are uh, urgently wanting to get to. Joshua McDowell said this one time. If you can imagine uh, looking at a pyramid or maybe even an iceberg where part of it's above the water, he said the tip of the iceberg is what you see in people's lives. It's it's what's above the waterline. And he said that top level is actually behaviors and actions of individuals. When we look at kids, when we look at adults, what do we see in their life? We see their behaviors. We see their actions. But he talked about other levels that are kind of underneath the waterline, so to speak. He said underneath behaviors and actions, there are values. Your values will determine your behaviors and your actions. So many times we're trying to get people to embrace certain behaviors and certain actions and it only lasts for a little while because their values have never changed. And Josh McDowell said, he took it to another level. He said, What is underneath values? That is beliefs. Those convictions and beliefs that you have in your life, that's what determine your values. And then those values will ultimately shape your behaviors and your actions. And he wrote all about that in a book called From Belief uh, to Conviction. And, and so there are certain beliefs and convictions that we need to have in our life that will shape our values and thus shape our behaviors and our actions. But then he noticed that there was still a problem. And, and in, a, in a recent conference, I had the opportunity to hear him speak Yet he said, you know, I realized there was another level there, because he said, I began to ask the question, what helps determine someone's Beliefs. And most of us think that it's experiences, just life's general experiences. But he did a study after study that showed it's not necessarily life's experiences that shape our beliefs, it's relationships. And he said, listen, actions and behaviors are the tip of the iceberg. That's what everybody sees. But it boils down to the values that they've embraced that shape those actions and behaviors, and then the beliefs that shape the values. And he said, where did they get their beliefs from? Where did we get our beliefs from? He said, relationships. Parents, teachers, grandparents, friends. Where do they have the most relationships? Is it social media? Is it Hollywood? Where are those relationships being, being established? Here's what I want to say before we move on from this atmosphere of love. Until you cultivate the soil, if I can use a little agricultural language after the past three days, until you cultivate the soil with the love of God and, and water it with his love and, and enrich it with his love and your love and, and, and make that soil rich with love, that it's not going to do any good to begin planting the seed of God's word. Remember the story, the parable Jesus told of the sower? See, when that seed does not fall upon good soil, it does not bring about lasting fruit. And so in your homes, we talked about your home, we talked about your heart last week, but in your homes, you've got to cultivate the soil. Even in your own life, you've got to build relationships with the people around you. If you want to take the Word of God to folks, you've got to be cultivating the soil. If you want to get the principles and precepts of God into the lives of your children and grandchildren, you've got to cultivate the soil with a lot of love. And in that rich, love-filled soil, you can begin to plant the seeds of God's words, of God's values, God's principles, God's precepts. See, the atmosphere of love then in our home, at that point, must be followed by the administration of God's laws in our home. Last week, we looked at the atmosphere of God's love. This week, I want us to think about the administration of God's law. See, there is another extreme to everything that I shared with you last week. See, the first extreme is to say, okay, you're going to abide by the word of God, the principles of God, the precepts of God, and there's no rich soil. You haven't created an atmosphere of love, and so... You have rules without a relationship that lead to rebellion. But on the other hand, I know sometimes that there are parents and teachers and leaders and grandparents that cultivate the soil with a lot of love, but then they never follow it by planting the seeds of God's laws and God's words. So there's got to be an administration of God's law in our home. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 12 says this, "...because lawlessness will multiply..." the love of many will grow cold. Because lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will go on. So sometimes we live in a world today where there's this, this preaching and, and, and teaching and even those that are outside of the, the world of faith are embracing the concept, we've just got to love each other. All the way back to some, some of you are, are children of the 60s. And you know, the make love, not war generation. We just got, if we just love one another... Rodney King's immortal words, can't we all just get along if we just have a lot of love? But the bottom line is, love is not enough. In that atmosphere of love, now we've got to cultivate the seed of God's word, God's principles, God's laws, or, or the love won't even make sense. And we'll have anarchy because lawlessness will multiply. The love, what happens to the love? See, without love, the word of God, the laws of God didn't last long. But without law, Jesus says, the love won't last long. So both are necessary because lawlessness will multiply. The love of many will grow cold. I want you to be reminded, we're talking about our home away from home. And I know the significance. The New Testament teaches me the significance of my responsibility and every preacher of the Word of God's responsibility, the responsible of the local church when it's gathered together. But listen, God established the home before he established the church. God established the home before he established a nation called Israel. And, and a lot of times when it comes to God's laws and the principles and precepts of Scriptures, and of course they had the Ten Commandments by this time, when it comes to all that, we point our fingers at the church and, and, and say, you've got to do a better job of preaching and teaching the word of God. We've got to get it in the lives of the, the people. And we point, sometimes we get upset even with the public schools because they took the Ten Commandments off the wall. Or we get mad at the courthouse because the Ten Commandments are off the wall. And listen, I'm all for the Ten Commandments being on the walls of the schoolhouse and the courthouse. But where did it start? He said, in your house. And there are people that are protesting the Word of God being taken out of the schoolhouse and the courthouse that don't have the Word of God and the Ten Commandments in their own house. And so he says, in the Shema here, he says, this has got to be something that permeates and saturates your home, not only the love of God, but the laws of God. How do we do that? How do we do that? We've got to, first of all, internalize biblical values in our hearts. God internalized biblical values in our own hearts. I want you to look at verse 6. It starts with you. Some of you, are, I don't want to really hear that this morning. Repeat after me. It starts with me. I'll say that again together. It starts with me. It starts with me. Look at verse 6 in this passage again. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in where? your heart so see it starts with you and it starts with me get god's heart in our hearts god's word in our hearts before we try to pass it down we need to internalize the word of god god's values god's convictions have to become a part of our hearts it's where you you start off by trying to get a handle on the scriptures but do you realize the scriptures are starting to get a handle on you Psalm 119, 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Why is it so important to be saturated with principles and precepts of God? Why has it got to be in our heart? Proverbs 23, 7. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So we begin to act out our beliefs. They're shaping our hearts. We've got to get the word of God internalized into our hearts Joshua 1.8. Now last week, or week before, we looked at Joshua chapter 1, and we saw that he was to be strong and very courageous, but he was warned, Joshua was warned as a leader in Israel, don't let this book of the law depart from you. Hold on to it. It's got to be your God. It's got to be what shapes your life. And if it shapes your life, it will begin to shape the lives of the people that you're leading. Hebrews 4.12. It's the word of God that's quick or sharp and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword and is able to pierce, what, even our hearts, to to divide between uh, soul and spirit and joints and the marrow. It's it's the Word of God that's got to begin to take hold of us, to saturate us, to permeate our lives in the principles and precepts. And I use the word internalization rather than memorization here, and I am all for Scripture memory. And we need to be memorizing the Word of God. What do I mean by internalization of the Word of God, not just memorization? I mean, we need to Go beyond memorizing Scripture to interpreting Scripture, to understanding what it means. Sometimes one of the concerns, and I help out with uh, my son and the Bible quiz team that he's on and all that, but one of my concerns is all of these kids memorizing Scripture that don't take time to ask the question now, what does this mean? How does this apply? So, so to internalize the Word of God is to say, I need to meditate on this. I need to understand this. I need to know what it means. It's not just saying, hey, I can quote it verbatim and tell you chapter, line, and verse. I know where it's found. By the way, men added the numbers later. It was written like books and letters and compiled together. And so we went back and numbered places in our Bible so we could find it. So if you can't quote chapter, line, and verse, that's not the major point anyway. It's that you've been able to internalize biblical values. You can meditate on it. You can apply it. A psalmist said in Psalm 1, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, stand in the path of sinner, or what? Sit in the seat of the mocker. He says, blessed is the man who's not getting his wisdom from all the wrong places. But in verse 2, it says, but his delight, what he takes the most joy in, is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That word meditate is like a, a, a sheep chewing its cud. Not to gross you out, but but the, you know, kind of swallows it and brings it back up again and chews on it a little more, and swallows it and brings it back up and, and, and chews on it a little more. Most of us only like our meal once, but you know, a, a, a sheep will continue to do that and bring it up and chew it. And, and, and it makes sure that it gets uh, very well digested and, and gets all of the nutrients into their system. And that's what we're to do with the Word of God when we meditate on it. We take it in, and we bring it back, and we take it in, and we bring it back to our minds. We think about it. We say, how do I apply that? Where am I? Even as I'm preaching this morning, some of you need to be asking the question, how am I going to apply these principles of internalizing the Word of God in my heart? How do I apply that this week? Where will I be that I'll be able to put this in to practice? That's meditating on the Word of God. And it says, if He that meditates on the word of God is like a tree planted by rivers of living water, which brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, and whatever he does prospers. You want to be prosperous. You want to be successful. Internalize the word of God, the principles of God, the precepts of God in your own heart. Meditate on it. Know how to live by it. Know how to make application. And listen, if you can quote 100, 150 verses to me, that's awesome. God's Word doesn't return void. That's a good thing. Memorize the Word of God. I'm all for that. But don't just memorize it for memorization's sake, or if you struggle with memorization, don't let that cause you major grief. Learn how to pull the principles and precepts out of Scripture, answer life's tough questions, and put it into practice. See, here, here. It, it, If I need you to drive me, I'm going to get on a bus today, and you're going to drive me from Danielsville, Georgia, to Los Angeles, California. It doesn't matter to me if you can quote the driver's manual or not. But I do want you to know the principles that are there, and I do want you to know how to get me there safely by those principles. Because you have studied, you've meditated, you've internalized, and you've practiced, you've, you've lived it out. And so, yes, I'm all for memorization, but don't stop there. Meditate. Internalize. And let it become a part of your life. There are some things that you should just be able to say, hey, I know what the Bible teaches on this. And, and I'm, I'm trying to be because if somebody asked, no, used to, you wanted to say, I better have proof. You know, if somebody asked me where would I find that, I might be in trouble. Now you just Google it, right? And where does the Bible really say? Well, you just type it up. If it's there, it's there. If it's not, it's not. But, but do you, can, you, can you honestly say this morning, you know what? If somebody asks me about the, what is the gospel, can I name four or five biblical principles concerning the gospel, how to be saved, to give your life to Christ, have forgiveness of sins? Can I name some biblical principles to give me moral guidelines to live by? Do, can my kids do that? Do I do I spout a morality at them and, and just say, I think the Bible says, or do they know that is a biblical principle? Do I know God's Word says about provisions for my life? Do I know God's instructions for how we do family? And am I passing that on to the next generation? Have we internalized it in our own hearts? I want to encourage you to begin internalizing the Word of God in your own. I want to encourage you. I'm going to encourage some of you fellows to do something radical, and that's to begin to... Journal when you have a quiet time. Begin to write down some principles that God is teaching you in your quiet time. Some of you, I want to encourage you to start taking notes, even while I'm preaching and teaching the Word of God or while you're in a life group. Learn to take notes. There was a time that this church... 80% 80% of the people I would be preaching to would have paper and pen in hand taking notes because, what, we want to pull it up later. Now life is so busy, we're like, we've got to have lunch, we've got a ball game to get to, we've got all this other stuff. Who's got time to meditate on the Word of God? I want to encourage some of you, get back to taking notes again. Now listen, I love when I'm preaching an amen and a hallelujah, praise God. When you say amen to a Baptist preacher, it's like yelling, sick to a bulldog, and the bulldogs needed a little more sick yesterday. But listen... You know what fires this pastor up more than somebody saying amen or hallelujah? It's when I see that a teenager took notes on my sermon in their journal so that the next day they could meditate on it when they journaled again in their quiet time. And so I want to encourage you to get back to that, the internalization of biblical values in your heart. And then when you've done that, you can move to the next step, which is the impression of those biblical values in your homes. The impression of those biblical values in your home. Look at verse 7 again. The first part of verse 7, he says, he says, repeat them to your children. Repeat them to your children. Now, look down with me to verse 9. Write them on the doorposts of your house. Wait a minute, I don't have doorposts. And on your gates. What gates? Well, we have different types of doorposts and gates today. We have places that we often look, right? Refrigerator, some of us. Put those scriptures on your refrigerator, those biblical principles. We don't have gates, but we have walls where we like to have pictures of our kids. But I also like to look on the wall and see where my wife has cross-stitched and framed a Bible verse. See, put those things up before your family, before your home. This is the impression of biblical values in your home. The Holman standard that I'm reading from uses the word, Repeat, repeat them. In the King James, it says, teach them diligently. Teach them diligently. In the NIV, it says, impress them. And you're like, well, which translation gets it right? Really, it's a combination of all of them. And what Moses was trying to instruct the children of Israel to do was this. Listen, diligently teach them through repetition until they have left an impression and made their mark on your home. Speaking of the people in your home, right? The family. Repeatedly teach them, diligently teach them through repetition until they have left an impression and made their mark. Where we're saying constantly with Joshua, chapter 24, verse 15, choose you this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. We're going to make sure that this household, see a church is only as strong as the families in the church And so we've got to be diligently teaching these things, the principles and the precepts of God, in our homes. That's where it starts. We can't do it all here. I've shared this with you before, but I remember when a pastor friend said, man, I can't believe you canceled Sunday night worship, which I never saw a prescription for Sunday night worship in in the Bible, but... I can't believe you canceled Sunday night worship so that you can create more family. He said, I can't get enough of the Word of God into people just on Sunday morning. i got to have Sunday night. I so, said, well, we have a dynamic Wednesday night, and the kids are learning scriptures, and, and we, but we want to do some things well. We have life groups, and that's a big part of it. But I said, listen, if I had them eight, ten hours a week, I couldn't get enough of the Word of God in them. But if you can give me one hour to motivate mom and dad to be the responsible leaders in their homes and take the principles and precepts of God's Word and internalize it and impress it on their homes then that's when it will really begin to take shape in their lives. Impress them. What's internalized in your heart becomes impressed on the hearts of those around you. You begin to shape the next generation. They embrace what you've embraced and lived out. You you know, we could have a look-alike contest this morning because so many of you have left that visible impression on your children. You know, we could do that. I was joking with, with Curtis this morning. We look at Jared, we see Curtis, do we not? People look at Kent and they say, oh man, chip off the old, it looks like his dad. Sorry bud, we left, you know, we leave our marks, right? There's some daughters here, you know, anybody think that you could win a mother-daughter look-alike contest? Anybody? Some, some of you like a bit a little modest here, right? Any husbands think your wife and daughter could win a mother-daughter look-alike contest? Raise your hand. All right, yeah, some of you see, we leave our mark, we make an impression. In the very same way, in the very same way, those things we embrace spiritually, the principles and precepts of God, we're to impress that, we're to leave our mark. You know, one motivation for my journaling wasn't even for me. When I began journaling, when my kids were real little, even before they were born, but but especially when my kids were real little, it occurred to me, what if when my kids are five, six, or seven years old, what if God calls me home? Because it happens. What if God calls me home? What if Tina and I are on a mission trip and the plane crashes and we're both out of here? Oh, that didn't mean to scare people going to Haiti, but what if we're killed in a car wreck? Or what you know, what if God calls us home? It went over and over again in my mind, you know, now wait a minute, who do we have listed as a God parent? Who's gonna raise our kids? How will they know what daddy believed? And so I wrote down my deepest thoughts and and my heart, my beliefs and all that. Partly out of a communication between me and God, but also because I wanted to leave something for my kids. Do they know what you believe and why you believe it? We're to impress it upon the next generation. Preacher went to the home of a family and was asking a dad about his favorite verse, and he said, "Well, I can't remember. It's in that, you know, it's in, I, I underlined it in the Bible somewhere." Um, and so he looked at his son, and he, and he said, Son, hey, go get the good book. The son looked at his dad like, What? Good book. Son, you know, the book that we turn to whenever we have questions and we need answers. Son went and brought back a copy of the TV Guide. <laughs> Some of you remember the TV Guide, right? Well, what do your kids think the good book, where, where do they think you get your wisdom and, and instruction for life? Are you culting, cultivating the relationship soil, and then passing the beliefs, planting the seed of God's word in their hearts. Listen, and we'll move on to the next point after this. But Let's be clear. Because I said so is only going to work for a few more years for most of you. And, and, and Tina and I are probably past that. Why should I? Because I said so. Enough said. That will work for a while. But if you haven't taught them the principles and the precepts of God's Word, if you haven't planted that seed deep, they will learn how to rationalize every moral behavior you've tried to teach them. It's got to be something that you have impressed into their life so that I find great joy when my kids come home from school and say, here's a behavior that such and such was involved in, and I have a problem with it, and I'm praying for them because if they are acting that way, then they probably value this because they've learned this, and probably mom and dad are not even working these things into their life. My kids recognize that, and it thrills. You know, as as John said, I have no greater joy than to know my children are walking in truth. When my kids come home, and and they've been to a place where they've heard another preacher in another place or something, and they say, man, he was awesome, and he showed us everything he got right out of the Scripture. And I even appreciate it and enjoy it when they come home and they say, Dad, man, he was on fire. He was a dynamic communicator. Man, he really had their attention. He was so funny. But you know, he didn't point out where he got anything he said out of the Bible. And, and so we had a little problem with that. That thrills my heart that they recognize that and say, man, he had 99% of the crowd in his hands, but he didn't point to the scriptures. And so my kids were like, I don't know if that's true or not. Are we impressing our kids to recognize that, to build their life on that? Are we shaping them in the areas of morality and what they're going to do in courtship and marriage and how they're going to vote politically. i got an 18-year-old that's going to get the vote for the first time. Lord, help us, right? This generation coming along. But at least I know of one, based on what he tells me, who knows how to vote according to the principles and precepts of the Word of God. Can we all say that about our children and our grandchildren? Impress the biblical values in your home. And finally, and very important, is the integration of biblical values in your habits. You can't just stop in it. We've got to get it outside of the home, right? The integration of biblical values in your habits. Go back, look at verse 7 again. Look at the second part of verse 7. He says, talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Now, I realize that we do not um, walk along the road as much these days. As a matter of fact, it's one of my pet peeves that there are so many people on state highways today that that walk the white line and think that I see them, and I don't. And I'm like, whoa, man, I could have hit you. We don't walk everywhere like we we, most of us drive or something like that. But, But when we travel, when we get outside of the home and when we're going places, he says, as you walk along, as you get up, lie down at bedtime in the morning." Let these things be in your conversation, the principles and precepts, biblical values being discussed. Bind them, he says. You know, the the sign, the the whole, and I realize that the Pharisees, some of the Jews took this very literally with binding the boxes to their their heads and, and so on. But he's saying, let it just be with you all of the time, the principles and the precepts of the Word of God. The biblical values that he's discussed in the Ten Commandments and and the moral law that was given were to be part of their conversation in all of the patterns of life. In every pattern of life, where where you're going, where you're hanging out, the principles and precepts of God are continually being discussed. Now let me tell you something. I love the idea of family devotions. I really do. I just tell you, there's a, that's one of the greatest things you can ever do. I love the idea of family devotions. Now, as I say that, my wife is sitting over there going, you hypocrite. <laughs> I love the idea of family devotions, but I stink at it. I, at that moment, everybody sit down and be quiet for 10 minutes. We're going to be in the Word of God together as a family. And some of you are like, man, we tried that. And we got kids different age, and they're still fussing and fighting over this. And, and, and you're trying to talk about a scripture, and you're sitting there wondering, did you get all your homework up? And, and, and we're playing ball, and we're doing homework, and everything. And we're like, man, where do we find time? And, and listen, if you can do it, do it. But I'll tell you what has worked for me. What I believe has gotten the Word of God into my hearts, into the hearts of my kids. See, in those times, we've tried, and we'll try again, and and all that. But but what's happened with us, we're riding down the highway highway when we're little, when when the kids were little. We were littler, but when the kids were little. (laughs) We're we're going down the highway, and instead of saying, let's just listen to some country music, we plug in an Adventures in Odyssey CD. And if you've got a six-hour trip, thank God for Adventures in Odyssey. And biblical principles and precepts begin to be discussed in the car. Kids come home and have a problem with a teacher, and they need to talk that over. Biblical principles and precepts. We've got to pray about something because we got a text message or a phone call. Biblical principles and precepts. And it turns out that even though I stink at family devotions, when we go back and look at the big picture... From the time they wake up, from the time they get home from school, even at school, probably more than they appreciate sometimes at school, when they get home from school, when we're hanging out on the weekends, when I'm coaching a ball team, constantly, what does the Bible say about that? How do we apply that scripture? And so I quit beating myself up about not having that organized family devotion, and said, you know what? It needs to be everything we do in life. It says, I'm going to be a chaperone on this field trip so we can talk about biblical principles and precepts, about what God would do in any given circumstance. See, all of a sudden, every day, all day long, becomes a family devotion because it is who you are. Jesus didn't have to get with his disciples and say, okay, guys, break, time out, 10 minutes, devotion time. All day, every day, they were hanging out with him. They were getting the Word of God, the principles of God, the precepts of God. And by the way, please, please, don't let me talk anybody out of organized family devotions. If it works for you, you need to do that. But don't kill yourself. Don't beat yourself up. If it doesn't work because the kids are at different ages and stages... Let the principles and precepts of God permeate all that you do. Look for teachable moments when they lose that ball game, when they lose that race, when they get mad at that coach, when that fellow student is trying to get them to do something they shouldn't do because you know what? That's going to happen 24-7. And you can take those moments when it happens and say, what does the Bible say about that? And you're having family devotion 24-7. But you've got to be intentional about that. Music that they listen to, the things they talk about, the stages of life, the time to start dating or not. What does the Bible say about that? Do you need a girlfriend at this point in your What does the Bible say about that? What did you think about the political debate? What did you think about the Republican debate? Like what does the Bible say about what those guys said? See, it's all the time. It's everywhere. Your own family vacation. Your daughter's got to pick out a bathing suit for family vacation. See, here's what a lot of us do. We say, wait a minute, they're going to church camp, so this is the bathing suit they've got to wear to church camp. Oh, but this is family vacation, so we don't have to worry about the dress code. Listen, my daughter, I don't even have to teach her this because we won this battle when she was a little bitty thing. If you don't win the battle when they're a little bitty thing, you're definitely going to lose it when they're a teenager, right? but we won about the, the, the battle when she was a little bit, she does not say, okay, well, I've got one standard of conduct when I go to church camp or when I work the summer at Count Maranatha, but as long as we're on family vacation away from church people, we can kind of do what we want. No, she says, I'm supposed to be modest, and so I'm going to be modest wherever we go and whatever we do. We've got to instill those values and integrate it in our habits away from the home just as much as when we're in the home you'll be amazed that they'll begin to pick up on everything that you have embraced when you're living it out with authenticity and sharing it with them. It'll be an integration, biblical values, and your habits. And they'll say, Mom and Dad are for real with this, and it works. I had a professor at mid Seminary who was talking about church leadership principles. And he was trying to explain to us, you don't need to be micromanaging your church. You need to preach and teach the Word of God and model it before your people, be an example to the flock. And he said, You'll be amazed. He said, I remember walking by when I was pastoring a church, walking by a, uh, one of our ministry teams that was meeting, and I wasn't even in on the meeting. He said, But I listened to it, and it sounded like I was in on the meeting. And I thought, Man, that's kind of cool. A few years later, I was standing outside where one of our ministry teams was meeting here because I've determined I'm not going to micromanage the church. Everybody's got their various gifts and. and and serving in various places. But I was overhearing one of our ministry teams meet, and even though I wasn't in the meeting, it sounded like I was in the meeting. I can't go off to college with my kids, but I want it to sound like I'm there when they're talking. More importantly, I want it to sound like Jesus is there, that the Word of God is guiding them in everything that they say and do. It's not going to happen if we don't integrate it in our habits. It's got to start in our hearts. We've got to impress it in our homes and then get outside of the home and integrate it in all of our habits. Then they will be much more likely. See, it because I said so, what if I said to my kids, listen, I'm the pastor of the church and you've got to make me look good. By the time they hit 17, 18, they would be out of the house and forget you, Dad. But it's because I say, no, we've got to love for Jesus. This is why we do what we do. Well, I want to love Jesus. I want to know why I do what I do. It makes all the difference in the world. You bow your heads with me.